Hello and welcome. This is the first episode of This Side of Happy. My name is Jeremy, and I'm the host of this brand new podcast that attempts to examine our desire to navigate our own happiness in this very strange thing called being a human being. Now, I'd like to take a moment just to reiterate that if you are experiencing severe depression, anxiety, suicidal ideation, I do ask that you seek help as soon as possible. You do deserve help, and you do deserve to be happy um, in whatever capacity you can. And my hope is that this podcast will assist you in hopefully thinking a little bit differently and avoiding the thought patterns that might plague your mind. Now, for starters, I do want to explain that my purpose for doing this is merely to do two things. One, to try something new because I've always wanted to do a podcast And uh, secondly, I wanted to provide some insight into how I've grown over the past year. The past year of my life has been an incredibly interesting one, to say the least. And at this point, I am grateful for all of it. Um, But for a while, I was very resistant to what was going on in my life. I will try my best to illuminate from my perspective what happened over the past 12 months and how it kind of shaped how I've become this person. I will get pretty personal into my own experiences that occurred starting about a year ago. So if you are someone who would prefer not to hear some personal aspects of of my a my mental health and b uh, my physical health as well then now would be your opportunity to step away but if you are interested then i am more than happy to share with you i would also like to clarify that i am not telling this story in an attempt to have any sympathy from anybody. I don't need any sense of sorrow for me. This is not a sob story. Merely this is my story. And that's why I felt it was important to share it and bring to light what it is that I'm trying to accomplish here. I have to go back to September of 1999 to really begin where this seemingly had started. In the middle of the summer of 1999, I had an annual checkup with my pediatrician who had found that I had an undescended testicle. I couldn't tell you which one it was at this point. But uh, nonetheless, it was something that needed to be addressed since I was seven. Uh, It should have been 
outside of my body at this point. So they scheduled a surgery for early September of 1999. I have the surgery and of course, I don't really think much of this. I'm, I'm a kid. I was nervous to have the surgery, but I did what I was told. I knew that this was something I had to have done, so I did. My parents, however, were advised, since they understood a little bit more about how life works, that this surgery did pose certain risks, especially for me as I developed into adolescence and adulthood. The main concerns were possibilities of testicular cancer and the possibility for difficulty in conceiving, uh, difficulty with uh, fertility. And so I was advised of this whenever I was a little bit older that this was going to be a possibility, but nothing that I really gave a whole lot of thought to, primarily because I didn't think that it would be that big of a deal. It was just one of the testicles anyway. So I go through adolescence, everything's pretty normal. I go into early adulthood, everything seems pretty normal. And uh, then I meet a woman that I decide I want to settle down with. Um, and we get married and we discuss having kids, but there isn't a huge push for it. We're enjoying being together without having children, although I have always wanted to have kids. Um, this was just something that I kind of lost sight of. So in the midst of the pandemic, about two and a half years ago, a little less, May, early June of 2020, uh, we had decided it was time to start trying to conceive. So we begin, and of course I'm nervous, I'm excited, I'm anxious, I, I am looking forward to potentially being a father. A couple of months go by, and we're not being too meticulous, we're not being too thorough about it. Um, we're just kind of hoping and seeing what sticks, essentially. I bring up to, you know, a few friends or, you know, a few people that know in the, in the community that we're trying, um, just that, you know, we've been trying and it hasn't really happened yet. And they say, well, you know, stay optimistic. It hasn't been that long. So we continue to try for a few months. Uh, it actually kind of comes to a, a turning point at around springtime of the next year, so March of 2021. I take an at-home sperm test, which all it really is doing is checking a threshold, essentially probably around 15 or 20 million count per, per you know, some tiny amount uh, of a sample. Now, I take this and it takes about 15 minutes for the results to pop up and it either says yes, good count or no, bad count. That's whenever I begin to get a little more concerned that I might have issues regarding my, uh, my potential for having children just because I began to think about my surgery that I had uh, and, and considered, well, what if that caused some severe problems? So 15 minutes go by and I check the results and of course they say that I have a low count. There's, there's a lower number than what the threshold was, which would be, you know, than the, a good normal number. So 
I talked to my ex-wife, then wife, about this, and she is optimistic and encouraging. She asks that we go to the GP, uh, just about 30 minutes away, and we go to her, and she recommends that I get a semen analysis done at a Quest Diagnostics in Hayes, Kansas, which is about three hours away from where we lived at the time. They take me in, and I collect the sample, provide it to them. They tell me they will contact me within the next couple of days. A weekend goes by, and probably the next Tuesday or Wednesday, I get a phone call while I'm working. I was working from home at the time. They advise me just that my results have been sent to the doctor. So we call the doctor. They print them out and tell me that we can come pick them up. We drive the 30 minutes down there to go get it. Uh, My ex-wife was with me. I go inside and request my results. They have them in a small envelope for me. I get out and step back into the car. Whenever I open the envelope, my heart does drop a little bit. I see the numbers, which indicate that my count is less than 2 million, which is abysmal. It is horrendously low. And the motility is 0.0. Now, what this essentially means, or what it meant to me at the time, uh, was that I had no motile sperm. I had no sperm that were moving, and the amount that there were was very, very, very low. Now, this was scary to hear because that obviously meant that I was at least part of the problem or the problem. The doctor refers us to a urologist in the same area who does an examination on me and talks about my family history, talks about my surgical history, and he thinks it'd be best that we go down to Wichita to a specialist down there. It takes about six weeks, I think, for us to get a, an appointment actually in the office. We talk over the phone with the specialist who schedules us out a little ways. Make it down in early August. He does a physical on me and requests a second analysis to be done with their office. So his physical examination did indicate that he believed I had a varicocele of the left testicle. What that means is that there were inflamed veins that provided poor circulation to my left testicle. Now, this could be contributing to the issue. They don't know, but they wanted to get an analysis done to kind of have a better idea of exactly what they're looking at. So the next week, I believe I drive down and they collect my sample again because I can't collect it at home. The distance away is too great uh, for the specimen to uh, not be under certain conditions. So I get down there, collect my specimen. They tell me again that they'll call me within a couple days. And they do. They call me about two or three days later. They looked at the sample and found that 2 million was incorrect. There weren't 2 million. There weren't approximately 2 million. There were zero um, sperm found in my specimen. There was absolutely no sperm found, which is not 
what I wanted to hear. Uh, but they knew that there were a couple things that we could do. We need to get uh, biopsies of each testicle to confirm if there's some, for lack of a better phrase, kink in the line or if there is something going on with the actual spermatogenesis in the testicles. They schedule my surgery for the end of September. Go down there. My ex-wife uh, waits for me to, to get my surgery done. Seems to ostensibly goes well. Shortly after, within the next couple days, I'm walking around like normal um, and everything seems okay. And I still haven't heard back from the doctor after about four or five days, I believe, because I got my surgery done on a Thursday. So I called the following Wednesday and requested to chat with the doctor about the results. The woman I spoke to was, I believe, an assistant of the doctor. She was legally authorized to verbally explain the results to me. Now, I was working for my in-laws at this point, and I was at work, which was at my ex-in-laws' home. They, they had an office and a home on the same property. So I make the phone call from inside the house, and she advises me that the results were normal. And I ecstatically reply, oh, the results are normal? And she says, yes, the results are normal. And I, being the emotional being that I am, began to cry because that was great news. That meant that the spermatogenesis was fine, and it meant that there was something going on down the line that might have to be looked at it in, in some other respect, but that meant that there was hope. I asked her to send me an email with a copy of the results. That way I could look over them myself, and she said she would. About 15 minutes later, I get the email, and I open it, and I open the attachment that was sent along with it. The results were two pages, and had a lot of medical jargon on it. Uh, there were a couple of slides, or at least um, images of the slides, that were taken from the biopsies. And above each photo, and I don't like to say the word photo, above each slide, there, were, there was a, a box that had a small paragraph of text in it, essentially explaining what the results are. Now, the first page states that there were no sperm found at all in the biopsy, indicating that where the sperm are supposed to grow and mature, there were none. So I flipped to the second page, and it says the same thing. I found from my results that I have Sertoli cell only syndrome, which is a rare genetic anomaly, or at least it's a typically, typically attributed to a genetic issue wherein the testicles do not grow to generate any sperm. Um, the next day, the doctor did call me and confirmed verbally with me that the results did mean that, and currently there are no treatments available for this disorder. If there is a very small amount of sperm, obviously IVF might be an option. Uh, because there are sperm present. However, in my case, there unfortunately were not. This was a pivotal point 
one of the pivotal points that was in a downward trajectory that ultimately I am grateful for. I became incredibly closed off from everything. Everything became a joke about this issue. Everything became centralized around my belief that the world and life and the universe and God and whatever were all unfair and this was a punishment for something. I decided to see a therapist shortly after this. Uh, He was not a good fit. I tried to see him twice and ultimately did not go back. So I neglected my mental health very quickly whenever I needed support. Unfortunately, I also did not ask for support from the people around me. I just complained about how life is unfair and that was it. I did not want to believe anything was good in the world. So as this developed over the next few months, um, I neglected my mental health, I neglected my physical health, I drank a lot, and I was drinking quite a bit before this too, so uh, I will be open and transparent about that. It all came to a screeching halt in February. Um, My ex-wife and I, at the time, uh, we decided to come up to Kansas City to help our friends move, which is about, you know, four hours away from where we lived. So we come up for the weekend, and we decide to drive back that evening after helping them out. And on the way back, we end up getting into a pretty big argument. And the semantics around the argument aren't important, but what is important is that we had finally discussed some things that we had been neglecting. And unfortunately, the next day, I I left. I decided to drive out to Kansas City. While this decision was mine, it was still horribly confusing and devastating at the time. I had my cat with me. I had some of my clothes. I had my work and personal computers. But more than anything, I had no idea what the hell I was doing. I had been with this person for five and a half years, almost six. She had been my best friend for a very long time. And unfortunately, things did not work out. And again, at this point, I cannot stress how grateful I am for both the relationship I had with her and also the things that I learned after it was over. I get to Kansas City and stay with my brother in Lawrence for a couple of days. Soon after that, a good friend of mine, uh, one of the best people that I know, uh, he and... um, his wife, who is also one of the best people that I know, they decide to take me in, and they let me stay with them for a while. I stayed with them until the beginning of August, from March to August, so about six, five months, six months almost, and it was life-saving. I remember at one point, I was in the basement of their home, and Of course, I'm glad that this didn't happen, but I was distraught, and I was drunk, and I had, you know, I had a gun in my hand, 
and I wanted to use it. Thankfully, I had gotten a therapist shortly before this, and I told her about it, and she asked me to get the gun out of the house, and I did. But this was also a part of where I was at at this point. I had some great times reconnecting with old friends after I got back. Having lived four hours away for about four years, I was grateful to really begin to see the people that that never really left my life, even though they weren't always around, but we always chat and we always see each other for the big things. A couple of months go by and May comes around and I go to visit my parents in Texas for a little bit. I get down there and I am drinking a lot still. I am eating like garbage. I am dedicating a lot of energy and focus to things that I did not enjoy. They were merely crutches. They were merely coping mechanisms. They were not sustenance, and it was not sustainable. After I get back from Texas at, towards the end of May, I make a promise to myself. I say... I can't keep running from the pain that I've been experiencing, the pain of losing my best friend, the pain of losing a part of myself that I had held on to so strongly since I was a kid. I knew since I was a kid that whenever I grew up, I wanted to be a dad. And I knew that since I was five years old. So I decided if I'm going to get through this, it's time to get through this. It's not going to help if I continue to run away from the pain and continue to run away from the hurt and from the questions. On June 1st, I decided that I was going to stop drinking for the most part. I I knew that there were going to be circumstances where I wanted to let loose a little bit, but I wanted to adjust my relationship with alcohol. I had been using it much rather abusing it uh, and letting it abuse me than understanding that it is not meant to be used in my case that way. And on June 11th, I turned 30 years old. So I was married and divorced and lost a big sense of myself personally uh, before 30, which was a little strange. (laughs) But on my birthday, I hung out with my family, um, with my twin, with my brother, with my older sister, um, and my niece. It was a lovely, a lovely night, and there was beer there, and I told myself, no, I'm not going to drink it. The next day, I went to a baseball game with a couple friends of mine, and I got one beer there, and, and then I stopped. And I'm glad that I did because it helped remind me that this was a path I was enjoying. I was enjoying adjusting my relationship to these things. So the next couple of months go by, and I have a couple of evenings where I let loose a little bit for my cousin's wedding. I I got fairly drunk, yes. Um, 
and for my best friend's uh, we do redo that he did in July, I got I got a little drunk for that, but not bad. But otherwise, I really didn't drink at all. And then early August came, and I decided it was time for me to do something new for a little bit. I left my friend's home who had been supporting me <laughs> and being just the most generous people I've ever known. Uh, and I went down to Texas. I went down to Texas for just the sake of getting away from where I was and providing, giving my friends their space back as well as just seeing what it was like in a new place. I hadn't been down there with this newer perspective. <laughs> so I get down to Texas and I decide that I'm I'm good just to not really drink at all anymore. Uh, now, <laughs> I go on a cruise about three weeks after I get there, and yeah, I drank on the cruise. Um, but then right after the cruise, I stopped, and I'm glad that I did. It was... A, a relationship I needed to adjust. I, I adjusted my relationship with the food that I ate, with the with the drinking, and here I am in mid-October, so about almost a year, I would say a year almost to the day since I got my news that I would never be able to father a child. Despite all of this, I am sincerely the happiest I've ever been in my life. And I'm grateful for every single thing that has happened. I know that I made mistakes. I know that I made poor choices. I know I made good choices. But I learned so many things by reading a few different books and, and looking into more spiritual aspects of things. And this podcast is going to examine a lot of different facets of, of this. So... If that's not your speed, that's okay, but it is a big part of what I hope to examine in this podcast, primarily because we avoid our happiness so often. We make choices that do not make us happy, because if they made us happy, we'd be happy. I'm not saying it's easy to choose happiness. I'm just saying it is possible. So I hope that just kind of providing this new light to, to me because some, some people may have known that I had gone through something. They didn't know what it was. I didn't put anybody on blast. I just, I took a little bit of time and I think that's what I needed. That's in summary what happened over the past year for me. Um, I hope that it at least shines a little bit of light on on where I've been, what I've been through, and and also demonstrates that while our walks that we we take in life are very subjective, they are inherently unique because we all have our own vantage point on life. It all comes from a different place. We can transmute different aspects of how we think and how we see the world and how we interact with the world around us 
that can truly enhance our own lives and our own experiences. I'm not making this podcast in hopes of it getting big or anything like that, but I am making it in hopes that it can help people. I neglected my desire to help people for a long time. I became a pretty selfish person, and I believe it's time to try and give back in whatever way I can, and this is a way. So that's what I'm working on now, and that's what I hope to work on in the coming episodes, however many there may be. But I do hope to continue this, and I hope that despite all of the things that happened in the past year for me, I am still happy. I'm happy now. I'm happy every day. It might annoy you just how optimistic I I try to be, and it's because that's where I operate best, and that is what I hope to provide and share with all of you. The next episode, I plan on being about letting go of the idea of control. Now, I haven't written it yet, but i that is what I am planning on it being. If it changes, I will post about it on the Facebook page. And I don't know how Spotify works yet, but I will work on that. In this life where we can choose to be anything... I hope that we choose happiness more often than not. I hope that we choose compassion and kindness because we're all going to end up the same no matter what. Our lives will end someday. And that's a motivator. At least it is for me. But in a world where we can choose to be anything, let's just try and choose happiness. Happiness.